welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast where we dig into the paranormal and try to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And I'm Eli. And this week, we chose a topic based off of our listenership. Whoa. Um, we were trying to come up with a topic. It's like, well, we, we're, we're at a point where we need to know the, another haunting episode. We've covered aliens, I think, pretty darn good. So we decided we were going to do each state. But how we decided that we're going to do hauntings in each state is based off of where the majority of our listeners are. So that we are doing episodes geared towards our listeners. In this first episode, the winning state, and even down to the winning town. Drum roll, please. Goes to Salem, Oregon. Yay! You rock. You guys rock. We have more listeners in Salem, Oregon than any other state right now, and city. And it's like, uh, Salem and, is not a and, state. And country? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're going to do this, and we're going to cover the 50 states, but we're not going to, because we have a lot of Canadian listeners, and we have a lot of European listeners, so if they their listenership passes any United States on the quality, we will cover your province or uh, county or, or town or whatever it is. So... If you want your city and state to be covered in an episode, get your friends and family listening to us and bump up your listenership in your area, and we will cover you next. I can't wait. It's actually been really interesting, because I've never been to Oregon. Neither have I. I really want to go. Yeah, now I want to go to Oregon really bad. I hear you guys (laughs) have some really clear, fresh air. Yeah. Well, I hear it's also one of the... It's very green. I like green. It's one of the... uh, (laughs) I mean... Trees. (laughs) Trees. <laughs> I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the most haunted states we've discovered. So that's kind of cool, too. So there was not a shortage of areas to cover. So yeah, we all kind of just picked ones that were kind of, we looked at like top haunted places in Oregon and we all kind of picked one and covered it a little bit. So yeah, we hope you enjoy. If we get anything wrong or if you've got a story you want to add, if you've been to any of these places, or investigated any of these places and you've got personal stories about them, send us emails. We will do a follow-up for it um, to cover your topics and your stories as well because this was really interesting. And, yeah, I think that the next trip we make, it's going to be up to Oregon because there are some really cool places, yeah, not even haunted places in Oregon that were really cool in all the research that we did. Was there any uh, boat stations? Um, there are lots of boat stations in Oregon because like, it is a coastal state. There are also plane, sta- plane <laughs> stations as well. Plane stations, yep. okay. <laughs> we'll make I, sure we, we bring your styrofoam helmet. Yes. Thank you. Thank yes, you. we'll have that's your styrofoam I'm, helmet. So you don't, for. you don't, because I mean, it is a coastal city, so or a coastal state, so you don't want to drown. So we'll make yeah, sure you have yeah. your styrofoam helmet. Yeah, which yeah. which if anybody knows how um, gravity works, uh, that won't keep my head above water. No, it won't. <laughs> 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 Not at all. But if it makes you feel safer, then you can yeah. wear it. I'll be like, this is amazing. <laughs> Just don't forget to strap it on because then it really does absolutely no good. <laughs> like, where's Eli? I think I saw his bobber about half a mile down the river. <laughs> so, Dave, you go ahead and start us off. According to truthfinder.com, Oregon is the sixth most haunted state in the United States of America. Portland is infamously known for its underground Shanghai tunnels, but 50 miles away in Salem, 
There are tunnels that run under various buildings at the Oregon State Hospital, wherein people get the sense they are not alone. Figures have also been seen peering out of the windows, only to vanish instantly. Tormented spirits are said to roam the halls and occupy the rooms of this asylum as well. Leaving from the complex on the east side and taking 24th Street south to the light, you'll see Sybil's Omelette. An orb is said to sometimes manifest and float from there across Slate Street to Jory Zan's body piercing shop. Other eateries in town which are haunted include the Hometown Buffet and the Denny's. Sorry, I just... Not even living people go to Denny's, so I'm surprised <laughs> there's ghosts there. Well, yeah. you know, they, they... What is it? Moon over Miami? They <laughs> ate one too many of those? <laughs> now I'm not sure which Denny's I have, I have watched someone die at a Denny's before, so... <laughs> Hanging a right at Sybil's and heading towards the Capitol puts you at the center of the Bush House Museum, Elsinore Theater, Foot Locker, Lawson Hall, and the Mission Mill Museum all said to be haunted locations, and all within a half a mile of each other. Haunted tours are held Friday and Saturday nights starting at 7. The tour begins at the Capitol and is hosted by Tim King, author of the book Haunted Salem, Oregon. If you go left at Sybil's, you will pass the penitentiary, which is allegedly full of ghosts of prisoners from the last 170 years. Fans of true crime might be interested to know. Jerry Brudos, also known as the Shoe Fetish Killer, died here after 37 years of incarceration. Mm, I just love me some pumps. I totally got chills when you said that, too. (laughs) The Happy Face Killer, the Molala Forest Killer, and Randall Brent Woodfield are currently imprisoned here. Back in 1917, Carl Panzram escaped from here was recaptured, but then escaped again in 1918 to never return. Merging onto Interstate 5 South, the old hunting grounds of Woodfield, the I-5 killer, takes you to the Fairview Industrial Drive, then turning south on Reed Drive and driving west puts you at the old grounds of the Oregon State Hospital's sister asylum, the Fairview Training Center. The former facility for the developmentally disabled, which also has its stories of brutality. Even though it was abandoned in 2000 and its last cottage torn down in 2019, the grounds still have ghostly visitors. According to legend, the cemetery was built over in the 1930s. The bodies themselves were not moved, and when the building was torn down, 12 bodies were unaccounted for. When you get to Battle Creek Road, you can travel 10 minutes south merging back onto Interstate 5, and you'll see a quirky little place called the Enchanted Forest, full of wonder and whimsy, inspired by fairy tales and nursery rhymes, activities for kids and adults, and possibly paranormal activity. What a whimsical place! Now, I will say that in order to get into this episode, I did a Google Maps tour of Salem, just to kind of see the area. feel like I was there because, you know, it's a little bit too expensive to buy plane tickets to go <laughs> check it out. One day when we're actually, you know, getting some Patreons coming in, yeah. we'll have to do trips like that and go visit these places and then do our do first-hand, show there first-hand accounts of these places. Yeah. 
So I, I had a question. You said the Happy Face Killer. Mm-hmm. Now is Not that tied to the Happy Face Killers? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I was asking about. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had to ask the same question. I was like, different guy. They, he they was, haven't uh, caught the Happy Face Killer yet. Oh, that's Happy Face Killers. He was Plural. a Canadian American serial killer. Yank or stab, stab, stab. Sorry, stab, stab, stab. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they call him the Happy Face Killer because he used to sign a happy face on all his uh, letters to police and the prosecutors and things like that. It's totally not this podcast, but we have talked about the Happy Face Killers. What if the Happy pa- Happy Face Killers are just fanboys of the Happy Face Killer? Could be. I mean, they are putting a happy face on near the oh. crime scene. So, yeah. wow. I don't know. I think it's just the happy face is the most common form of graffiti next to the swastika. Because you could also attribute all these murders that are attributed to the happy face killers to neo-Nazis because there's also swastikas yeah. Yeah. You could probably get at the crime scenes. Halfway around, so. So. Yeah. I just, just a thought, because I'd never heard of the other guy. <clears throat> so we're going to start, start our tour as if we were going to Oregon ourselves. And I would assume we'd probably fly into Portland because we got friends who live around Portland, I believe. Yeah. So we'll start in Portland. What do you mean you believe? Like you're not sure if you're friends <laughs> <I> think, anymore? <laughs> <I> yes. Think, <laughs> no, uh, Kyle, where are you? I think he's outside Portland. <laughs> he, he listens to us. So. Yeah. He's probably what got us all our Salem yeah. listeners. So we're going to start in Portland. And we're going to start in the infamous Shanghai Tunnels. One of the most haunted places in Portland is also one of the most famous spots in town. We are, of course, talking about the Shanghai Tunnels, which run underneath a large portion of Portland. The underground network of tunnels and passageways was used to kidnap unsuspecting men and women and force them into human trafficking. Men would be drugged or knocked unconscious and be dragged into tunnels before waking up hours or even days later when they are already far out of sea, having been sold to work as crew on ships. Meanwhile, women would also be taken and be forced into prostitution or slavery. As you might imagine, many of the people who were kidnapped ended up dying in the tunnels before they could be moved on and is the souls of these innocent victims who are said to be haunting the tunnels. Visitors have said that they can hear disembodied screaming and murmuring voices while taking tours of the tunnel. Where's the exit? Hey, hey, where's the exit? Help. <laughs> you shall not pass. Hey, pass. hey, you got a light? You got a light? <laughs> can I get some money? Hey, can I get a cigarette from you? That's right. <laughs> Would you like fries with that? <laughs> um, uh, another factor, though, that was uh, kind of huge in this situation, too, which I kind of find a lot, well, not kind of, but do find kind of fucked up, is that if you were to, if you were shanghai out of Oregon, put into the tunnels, if you were found out to be pregnant, they would kill you on the spot. Uh, obviously women. But it's like a two for one. Yeah, it's it's pretty fucking dark. <laughs> it's a BOGO sale. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Still I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm trying to be serious, but it's like, you're right. <laughs> I'm not going to let you be serious. Our topics today are too dark for us okay. to be serious the whole time. And start. 
At one time, this great city that we know today as Portland, Oregon, was a river town whose beginnings we often look upon as being nothing more than a humble Victorian settlement. However, in reality, it was considered the most dangerous port in the world because of Shanghai trade. Stopping for a drink in such notorious establishments as Erickson Saloon, the Snug Harbor Saloon, and the Valhalla Saloon, people became inspecting victims who found themselves beneath the streets of in, in tunnels and being carried out of the waterfront and sold for blood money. Portland, Oregon, the Victorian refined city of roses along the Willamette River, earned the reputation of being the Shanghai capital of the world because the uncontrolled, Shang- the uncontrolled Shanghaiing of unsuspecting men. These men primarily sailors, loggers, cowboys, sheep herders, those who worked on the river, and others that lived in wanderlust lives and who played just as hard as they worked, found themselves victim of the worst skullduggery imaginable. Thousands of them found themselves in clutches of Shanghaiers and crimps. Now, I gotta pause here. So when I read the word crimps, I was like, why in the fuck didn't they just call them pimps? And I was like, wait, 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 wait. The, the terminology of crimp was literally whoever was like the money man, literally. So it was, if you ever look at like uh, older movies, and because older movies do depict kind of how shit worked, like in the old times in 1700s. If you were part of a, a thieving gang, you had one guy that you answered to, right? And yeah. you would you would give him what you stole, and then he would divvy out compared to like who the fuck was either his favorite or who the fuck stole what, right? So this is the same situation. They would employ um, hookers and uh, bar officials and all kinds of shit to. Kind I'm of like to call my bartender that from now on. Whores? Hey, bar official. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Whoever, whoever, like either no. owned the bar or had power, they would literally go to them and be like, you know, we'll pay you so and so this much because at that point, like I didn't thought these people were just going to these random places and just like stealing them off the street. That is true, but a lot of the organizations that were on the strip in Oregon, sorry, in uh, Portland, Portland knew what the fuck was going on, and they were making money off of it as well. Now, now at this point in time, I mean, technically, none of this stuff was illegal. Nope. None of it was illegal. But... So really, I mean, it was just what capitalism is. Yeah. yeah. Um, on top of that, you had trap doors in a lot of the saloons and a lot of the, the whorehouses and stuff like that, where uh, there was like, not really a first-time account of but what people thought would happen is that you would go in to get your, your rocks off, you would have a drink before that, and they would pretty much put your ass to sleep, open up a trap door, throw your ass inside the trap door, and they would come by underneath the tunnel, grab you, and move you on your way. Hey, Jim, we got a live one today. <laughs> I was picturing like two guys with a wheelbarrow walking down the tunnel. Just Oh, yep. Yeah. Oh, the drop should come in in about 20 minutes. We're just going to shit here real quick. Again, the fucking drinks. Honestly, they're thinking of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grails. They're going picking up the dead bodies. Yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> what I pic- it's what I'm picturing through the Shanghai tunnels. Yeah, bring out your dead. <laughs> bring out your dead. I'm not dead, but you will be soon. You will be soon. All right, I'm uh, feeling better. That that's one of the things that I found that was really interesting about it is that um, 
you know, like anything else, if you can make a dollar off of it during that time, they were all for it. And like you said, that it wasn't illegal. Uh, I mean, of course, like it was one of those situations where like if you weren't found doing it, there's no way they could prove you did it. Right. You know, I'm sure even some of the police officers and stuff were in on it back then. Yeah. Extra, make that extra money. Mm-hmm. So I say things haven't changed much. Nope. Yeah. It's Especially uh, when it comes on to a larger scale as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thousands of them found themselves in the clutches of Shanghaiers and crimps who either forcibly grabbed them off the streets, slipped knockout drops in saloons, pool halls, and gambling parlor drinks. They were hauled out of opium dens and houses of prostitution or cleverly dropped through deadfalls, also known as trap doors, that were conveniently situated in a wide array of vice establishments. Oh, no, you activated my, my trap, trap card. card. <laughs> <laughs> when he was telling me this earlier, he's like, he activate the trap doors. And I was like, instantly, but when like he, Yu-Gi-Oh! He, he just started like, fucking laughing. You activated my trap card? <laughs> <laughs> this, this... This trap card allows me to draw two drooling cards from my dueling deck. Insane. Women in early Portland's history had to also be cautious when venturing into certain areas of the city. They were warned not to go to dances and to stay out of restaurants, saloons, and other establishments of the evening. They, too, became victims of the shadowy part of the city's history and found themselves being carried or dragged through this infamous network of wharf rat-dominating Shanghai tunnels, and unfortunately sold into the white slavery. Like a speck of dust, most of these women just seemed to vanish and were never heard from again. The victims were held captive in small brick cells or makeshift wood and tin holding cells until they were sold to the sea captains. A sea captain who needed additional men to fill his crew notified Shanghaiers that he was already ready to set sail in the early morning hours and would purchase the men Forget this shit. Fifty to fifty-five dollars a head. It's quite a bit of money back then. Holy shit! A lot of money. Women were sold for. uh, uh, I don't have the price on here, but I remember it sold for either double or three quarters of that. Sounds like the the job to be in if you're making that kind of money off of people. Mm -hmm. Now, if memory serves, when we were doing our voodoo episode, an African slave was about thirty-five dollars. Yeah, at the time, thirty to thirty-five. Yep. Um, part of the thing is, is that, uh, especially like whenever you're looking at, uh, I guess you would call it human trafficking, uh, in the early days, um, African Americans were still like, like you could use white slaves in places that you couldn't use black slaves in. Yeah. 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 So they were more appropriate in households than they were, you know, and, uh, stuff like that. So that's where they were more expensive. <clears throat> Uh, knockout drops were slipped into the confined victim's food or water. Unconscious, they were taken through the network of tunnels that snaked their way under the city all the way to the waterfront. They were placed aboard ships and didn't wake until many hours later. After they had crossed the bar into the Pacific Ocean, it took many of these men as long as two full voyages to get back to Portland. You guys know how long a voyage is? One? Months. Huh? Months. Three years. Three years. Jesus. Two voyages, six years. That's one hell of a vacation. Or not Internment camp. (laughs) It's a six-year internment camp at sea. Oh, fuck. Oh, man. I would have just... I'm sure, though, at some point in their lives, being out there, they just... 
become part of the crew. Say so Stockholm Syndrome would take over at yeah. some point. They, at some point, you know, they're, they're getting out at ports and stuff and going and drinking and stuff like that. They just become part of the crew at some point. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you, you kind of... You I feel like in that situation, don't. you have to adapt in order to stay sane. Yeah. This is our five. And, that, and that's pretty much what Stockholm Syndrome is. That's when you just conform to your situation and you make it your life because it's if your you new normal if, if you don't you're gonna sit there and go crazy thinking about everything else what everything else that it could have been yeah all along the waterfront from north end today's town today's old town skidmore fountain in chinatown to the south end today's southwest downtown area Shanghai tunnels ran beneath the city, allowing hidden world to allowing a hidden world to exist. These catacombs connected to many saloons, brothels, gambling parlors, and opium dens, which drew out numbers of men and became ideal places for the Shanghaiers to take their victims. The catacombs would snake their way beneath the streets of what we call O Town, Skidmore Fountain, and Chinatown, helped to create an infamous history that became cloaked in myth, superstition, and fear. The cooperation of police, politicians, and big business leaders, these riverfront neighborhoods became more notorious than the baby Barbary Coast. The Shanghai trade was not just confined to Portland's downtown. Instead, it existed all along the waterfront in the network of Shanghai tunnels, with some areas more extensive than others. So these, these tunnels existed from, from the dates I found were from 1850 to 1941. Yeah, it's almost a hundred freaking years. All right. Now, in my mind's eye, like we talked about, like with money and stuff like that, you can't make a illegal, like we already talked about, it wasn't illegal, but you can't make a situation like that last as long as it did without having some sort of corruption in government paying off somebody yeah. that was in power. If not government, at least law enforcement. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what it said there, you know. They they paid off anything from police to politicians to business leaders. Well, I mean, you could almost you know look at it with like the cartel today. I mean, that's what the cartel does in Mexico. It goes in and it buys up the cities, basically. Yeah. And then it can run its drugs and its people, that's human trafficking wherever it needs to, and everybody just looks the other direction. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's exactly what they did then too. It's just it was in the United States. Yeah. It's in the past now, so we get to see what actually happened. As yeah. of now, it's all happening now. So now we turn we a blind to, eye yeah. and we put walls <clears throat> up because the wall will stop it. <laughs> oh my god! And it, but it won't. Uh, oral tradition has kept the history of the Portland Underground alive. Today, 150 years after Shanghai began at this formal stump town along the Willamette River, you can still view the secrets secrets of the past venturing through the Shanghai tunnels and cast your sights on the history that has been nearly forgotten and buried. During the heyday of Shanghai, a minimum of 1,500 people per year were shanghai out of Portland. The remnants of Portland's infamous history of, shanghai, of the Shanghai Tunnels and the Portland Underground are still with us. The stories have lingered along with the rubble, the trapdoors, the secret entrances, and the catacombs that still extend their presence beneath the sidewalks, streets, and buildings. So, I tried to do math. And, yeah, I know, Chad. I know. I tried to do math. Did you call in math, man? It's 150,000 people throughout 100 years. Yeah. 
that's a lot of fucking people. Especially, and that's just especially the ones, like, a suggested idea. Like that, you know, like, sure. it, there was no hard number. They figured that it was fifteen hundred people per year. That is the population of a town like Lawton I mean, or Norman. Right. Yeah, and I feel like my math might be off. Actually, well, I mean, it's not. It's not exactly hundred years. It's uh, nine less. So it's like. No, I was right. Okay. <laughs> Like but I want to say the population of Norman's like 147,000 yeah, or something like that. That would be the like whole that. whole town of Norman yeah. within like over 100 years just disappears. But but you got to think though is like these people didn't not all these people that were like Shanghai or stolen weren't weren't from Portland yeah. or yeah. even Oregon oh, it's to like, begin with. It's I mean it, I mean yeah it was a port town so people would come in in and out. So I mean most of the people that were probably taken weren't actually from there. Well and you're also you're close enough to Canada at that point. How many of them were Canadians? How yeah. many of them were that came in from port, yeah. only to be thrown back out? You know, it'd be like really hardcore. And I thought about this as I was doing, well, reading this and also doing research. What would be like? How hardcore would it be? Is if you were a sailor and you got Shanghai, and then like six months later, you're still sitting in the because there were there were times where. Uh, they couldn't make sales. You I get mean, bought by the same captain that you were yeah, on the ship. Yeah. Oh, hey, George. Gary, where the hell have you been? <laughs> I don't know, man, but it's been a rough ride. <laughs> you know? But, like, there, there were, like, in the darker part of this, though, is, like, there were times where people would... Now, this is also during the opium craze, mm-hmm. okay? <laughs> so if you were taking out of an opium den, they didn't take like give you opium to wean you off of it. Mm-hmm. You were just there to your own vices, like left to your own vices. So you would die from your addiction because you didn't have any. One, it would make you go fucking insane. Two, you would starve. Period. They uh, there was a uh, a article that someone I forgot what the hell his name is, but he's one of the uh um museum directors in um in Oregon that they have a segment in their museum of literally just about the Shanghai tunnels. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said that there was documentation that they had kept where at one point they had 350 people in this in this tunnel at one time. And what they would have to house these people to keep them in check, basically, is like it was basically a man-made dungeon. I mean, they would have people indoor, like... Like tinfoil, uh, not tinfoil, sorry. Tin, <laughs> God damn it, Eli. I'm over here trying to be like serious, like Dave's serious. I'm just like, tinfoil doors, man. We can't get through it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> That's they, their they weakness. Put a, they put them in wet paper sacks. Right. You're like, breathe through this, bitch. Okay. But they would, they would use tin and wood to keep these doors in, in check. And they always had somebody on watch. But once, it, I mean, you get 350 people in this tunnel, there's no fucking way you're going to have all, all this room in these, these deals. But they would stockpile people in these, these areas. Mm-hmm. People would starve to death. They would die due to uh, the, their opium addiction. They would commit suicide. So, so you'd have some die from exposure to say diseases, diseases alone from, that yeah. would be Exactly. And they, they were, I mean, they were rat-ridden tunnels, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so... Like, it's really hard to, like, think of because, like, I mean, there's multiple cases in the the history of, like, even before America was America, where we had, you know, issues with uh, trafficking from, you know, Indians and whatnot, and even far on before. Human trafficking was part of human culture as 
terrible. All, as a all, it's all a part of American <laughs> history in general. Yeah. Hey, we were t- I was talking it's a part about, of world history. Yeah. I was thinking about as you were talking about it is how they would take the guys and stuff to bring it back to something we had talked about earlier, the heavy face killers. I don't know why all of a sudden this episode is making me think about what you're talking about. That. It's like, that's all the mode, all the exact things that happened with every one of the happy face, all the men that were disappeared that are considered to be part of the happy face killers. Um, uh, victims, <clears throat> they'd go to bars and then not come out. Were and they were they the fallen deaths of? And they were found weeks later. So of human trafficking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, when you're Very talking, possible. first of all, all the trauma involved in being Shanghai, you've been kidnapped. You know what's happening because this has been happening in your town for or in the town for a long time. You're being held captive. The amount of energy you're putting into the the universe at that point is very high, scared energy. That alone is going to stagnate. You're stagnant in these tunnels, and you're going to have residual haunting galore just from. Period. That. Who knows what these tunnels are made out of, too, yeah. and what's around that area that could help. Then uh, you got people who are actually dying yeah. in traumatic fashion. Fashions. So. You've got intelligent haunting there. I mean, the the tunnels sound like a breeding ground for paranormal energy. Yeah. See, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard, uh, and the, like these tunnels go on for miles, like yeah. they're um, for miles. But uh, some of the some of the things that people hear whenever they go, because these tunnels still are like some places you're actually not allowed to go. But these tunnels are still like occupied, as in people take tours of these yeah. da- on a daily They're basis. They're set up as a tourist attraction. Tourist yeah. attraction, yes. Uh, but some of the hauntings that that you hear about are, um, I wouldn't, I, I, it's, I wouldn't say like intelligent, but to a certain point, like, uh, like, like I said, they they hear like disembodied voices, shouts, murmuring, stuff like that. But there's one that I found that was a first account, and I talked to Amy about this a little bit, but this lady remembers looking in one of the the cells, and from one side of the cell to the other side, she saw a ghost with a child in her arms walking from one side to the other, and right before she got to the actual wall, the baby turned at her, and she swears up and down this baby looked directly at her. Turned her, turned its head and looked directly at her, and she was fucking terrified. That was the first. That was the first one I found. The second one that I found that was kind of like a little far fetched, but being the fact that there's no count in how many people actually died in these tunnels, mm-hmm. you can't dis- disregard it. Um, one of them was. Uh, they were getting to the end of the tunnel, and of course, there's not like a shaft that you take up or a ferry that you take out of this tunnel. They walk you right back through where you came from. Um, and they have it almost like in lanes where it's like you go down and then you turn around and you go back the other way, and then the next tour comes, whatever. <clears throat> she said that she was physically attacked. She had scratch marks on her back, uh, and she's not the only, they, they said that she wasn't the only one who's ever claimed that. Um, That's happened before. Um, but then, like, you have, like, not so much residual, but violent hauntings. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've, 
I think it was Ghost Adventures that went there, and I watched that episode. But they, you know, were calling out demons because they figured there's demons. Come out and face me, bro. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't think you're dealing with demonic energy down there. I think you're dealing with angry people. People who, one one thing, either they are the guys that were doing the Shanghai, and they're just, they're already evil people, or they're people who fought back while they were down there. Listen to me, guys. Listen, okay? You go to a. Slum house, and you're trying to get your rocks off before you go back to sea for seven to eight months, right? Mm-hmm. You wake up in a fucking tunnel, right? And you're like, where the fuck am I at, bro? I was about to get my socks off. And realize that you're sold. Or, even worse, you realize that you're about to be sold, and you flip out and get killed. Don't tell me that you wouldn't be a pissed off fucking spirit. Oh, yeah. I really wonder how many of these people went through it multiple times. Yeah, they would be sold, and then you know, finally, after a while, they get brought back and then let go, and then if you get sold twice, luck. though, you're dumb. Like if you <laughs> if you come back to Portland, like I'm just gonna go out for a nightcap, you know. <laughs> Three hours later, you're in the same position you were six years ago, and you're like, you know what? Maybe I should change my life a little bit. <laughs> you're sitting there in the stone. You see someone walk by. Hey, George. <laughs> oh, you're back again. Yeah, didn't learn the first time. <laughs> this is my ninth yeah. run, baby. Yeah, I'm making a new world record. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get away. <laughs> Enjoyed it too much. <laughs> Do you know if Tommy's coming by to pick up some sailors? I really liked working with him last time. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not making light of the situation. We're literally saying, like, I mean, you kind of have to... We have to make light of I, it a little gonna... bit because it's a dark... Dark moment. Yeah, I was going to, towards the end of the episode, going to bring up the, we're talking about human trafficking and mental ill in this episode, and that we're not trying to make fun of anybody. We're ending the episode, though, at an amusement park. So you guys, I mean, we're going to end it on a happy note. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll just do it now, then. (laughs) We'll end it now? This is the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. (laughs) No, do the whole, like, uh, public announcement thing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like you know, I was saying, we're bringing jokes to this because it is such a dark, dark thing to talk about. And in continuing this episode, we're going to be talking about the mental ill and and human trafficking and stuff like that. And I will say, for speaking for all of us here, we're not making fun of it. No, not at all. We're, we, it's a serious epidemic that's sweeping the world and has been for years, centuries. Uh, but... It's so dark, we have to bring some humor to it just to make it through. Yeah. Yeah, because if so. we just sat here and read over facts about the Shanghai without making some kind of joke, I think we'd all need like a Prozac at the end of the night. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd <laughs> feel, I'd, I mean, it was a little bit depressing uh, researching it a little bit due to the fact that there was so many real things that are like... It, I hate to say it, but if it wasn't still going on today, it wouldn't have been as suppressive. Yeah. I'm sorry, not oppre- suppressive, oppressive. Yeah. It wouldn't be as oppressive. But since it's still going on today, it's very real. It goes on enough today that when I take my kids with me to the store, I've got a hand on them at all times. Yeah. You know, like somebody's gotta kick my like get me before they can get my kids. Yeah. yeah. You know. But you hear stories about it all the time at Walmarts and Targets mm-hmm. and I just I don't like taking my kids to the store for the simple fact that I've got to keep an eye on them both while I'm doing my my shopping and yeah. and 
I constantly am looking around my shoulder, looking at people who are following <laughs> us and things like that. And human trafficking is a huge problem right now and needs to be addressed. And it needs to be addressed with more than a wall. It needs to be addressed with some harsh punishments and yeah. some big stings. But Yeah, it used to be the only thing you had to worry about at the store was someone taking your purse or something. Yeah. Now, now like, taking your fucking child, your child yeah. or yourself. Yeah. Jesus. <coughs> so. But then going, let's, let's, bring, let's go back to ghosts. Yeah, let's go back to this. I'm not scared of ghosts. I'm like. scared of people. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Shanghai tunnels sound super interesting. Yeah. Like. I, I would say that when we make our trip to Oregon, we're going to have to go check out the tunnels. Yeah. Are those opium dens still open? <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I'm right there with you, baby. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Hey, it is Oregon. It is a green state. It's a green state. <laughs> we can, you can smoke all the pot you want, but... All right. But what about opium? <laughs> I mean, technically, that's a plant, too. <laughs> with medicinal benefits. I, I'm going to say that it's... In our lifetime will not be legal anywhere. Shrooms, maybe. I'm yeah, not they're, sure. They're actually, working on that one. Yeah, there actually is uh, legislation for trying to pass for medicinal uh, mushrooms. Yep. Yeah. I think there's just so much involved in the opioid crisis in general. that Stupid crowns. <laughs> that <laughs> it, it would take a lot to get opioid and opium separated out. So people... S- knew that there was a difference between just straight opium versus the opioid epidemic going on right now. You make a good point. Because right now we're in a war against opium, (laughs) basically. Opioids. Opioids, but opium for that same fact, because it has the same name. Hmm. People glump glump things together. Like you did with that word. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, where next are we going on our trip? So we're going to hop in the car and go down I-5. To the town of Salem, where most of our listeners are. Hi, Salem. Hi, Hi. listeners. Oh, this is Eli saying uh, hello and good morning. We'll be bumping some good music as we're driving into town. We're rolling to Salem, unearthing paranormal scene. Are you talking to us? (laughs) (laughs) She's carrying on a conversation by herself. Okay, leave her alone, all right? I'm deep in thought. I'm picturing my drive, okay? I'm I'm like, oh, look at all these trees. And, oh, look at that old building that looks so awesome. You guys, we have to go check that out. And then we come up on this hospital. You have an active imagination. I do. It's awesome. Opium induced. I'm super (laughs) stoked. This hospital is still in use today. Chad? Oregon State Hospital. Or the Oregon State Mental Health uh, Mental Hospital. The Oregon State Hospital was built in 1883... It's the oldest operating psychiatric hospital in Oregon. It's also one of the long, largest run, longest running uh, ones in the on the western side of the United States. Um, and I will probably just start calling it the hospital or OSH. Um, OSH was active in the fields of electroshock shock therapy, lobotomies, eugenics, and hydrotherapy. The hospital started receiving criticisms over the aging facilities and some of its practices. In 2005, photos were taken of 5,000 cremated remains stored in copper canisters left in the basement. Um, actually, the photo was, I think, 3,600 uh, canisters, um, but they had buried another 1,400 um, in a gray, an old pond that they had covered up. 
and then they exhumed them, and then they were all stored in the basement, which was kind of abandoned at this point. So you just got the that's five thousand people over at this time, what almost one hundred and twenty years. Yeah. So they were probably cremating them at site. Yeah. yeah. And they copper canisters, so like like coffee cans, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, pretty much what they look like. They look like coffee cans with a little label on them that says urn, and it has a name and a date. And you Jeez. can't read most of the names or the dates anymore. Starting in the early 1900s, the hospital started struggling with overcrowding. Some more additions were made, in the hosp- and they created a second mental health facility farther down the road. Um. In 1942, a mass poisoning occurred in, at the hospital. In total, 467 people got sick and 47 died. The coroner, the coroner's reason for death is because someone had mixed sodium fluoride with the eggs that morning instead of powdered milk. Now, if they're dealing with overcrowded situations, it sounds like this was more of a... A purposeful oops? Yeah, uh, Happy accident. Right, right. Um, yeah, I bet that cook just got paid administrative leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and so just for people to know, sodium fluoride is used in cockroach killer. So we're talking so. like 10% of the people who got sick died? Yeah. That also almost sounds like maybe those, that 10% didn't get the medical care that the other 90% Probably. got because of the overcrowding issue. Those are probably the ones that hadn't paid their bill. And then in 1975, the hospital became famous for being the scene of Milo Foreman's movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Good movie. Starring uh, Jack Nicholson. It's a really good movie. Really good movie. Really good book. Um, It's a really good movie at showing the different characters that are in the mental hospitals. Yeah. How not everybody is just like Looney Tunes. You know, the thing about that is they actually paid uh, staff and patients of the hospital to be in the movie. Yeah. So a lot of the patients you see in the background and stuff are actually real patients mm-hmm. of the hospital. I'm going to have to rewatch that one. I haven't seen it in about 10 years. I watched it. I used it. to own it on DVD, and I can't find it now. But I, I remember. I think we may own it, because I think I bought it to watch it cause for extra credit in my one of my psych classes. Yeah. But... Yeah, it shows a large... and. The director, who's actually the director in the movie, um, the director of the hospital, um, he he accepted to do it even though board members and everything told him it was a bad idea because, one, he wanted to try to put the hospital back in like a positive light, even though the movie is about abuse. and Yeah. Yeah, but he wanted him to show it as, you know, this is all Hollywood's idea. This isn't what really happens here and everything. Bullshit. Uh, <coughs> Bullshit. Uh, up until present day, many criticisms have been made of the hospital, the way it looked, the way the staff treated patients. Um, many of them would abuse their power to abuse the patients or just get whatever they wanted out of it. Um, there's a patient. He's got a couple of YouTube videos. I cannot remember his name, um, but he posts them on YouTube about his time there and everything. And he said the most common saying that the ha- the staff had was, "If you're not hallucinating, we're not doing our job." And so, like, if you acted up, they would give you electroshock shock therapy, drug you, do all these different things to make you hallucinate, to make you crazy. 
So then you were stuck there. So that you were probably quiet, rocking back and forth in the corner. Yeah. And not bugging them. Yeah. yeah. And so they would do all these things to get you to calm down. Um, now. Is this the kind of stuff they taught you in psych class? No. <laughs> they did because we did talk a lot about the history of uh, the mental health facility or mental health field. Field. Yeah. yeah. And we talked a lot about, you know, in the 1980s when uh, basically Reagan released a whole bunch of mental patients. He shut down a lot of facilities and they just kind of walked free, which is why Norman had such a high population of homeless people for a long time was because yeah. those people were just let out of Griffin with nowhere to go. And uh, they become homeless and they they can't hold jobs because they aren't mentally sound. And they just roam the streets talking to themselves. Yeah. Um, now, the museum does have, or the hospital now has a museum in the front half of it in the nicer part of the building. Um, when you walk in, and it's got, it has a lot of the urns on display behind glass. Um, and then they've got a bunch of old equipment and notes and stuff. And they have these plaques that were posted at the office back when the hospital opened of what things would get you into the hospital. Um, such things as epileptics, epileptics with seizures and stuff. Masturbation, because we like to point that one out a lot. Um, I mean, STDs, uh, melancholy, common cold, um, tuberculosis. Pretty much, if you were sick, they would send you there instead of sending you to an actual hospital. And you'd leave in a coffee can in the basement. Yep. No, you wouldn't really leave. You'd just be stuck in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But it sounds a lot... It reminds me a lot of when we were talking about um, the uh, stay on Main Hotel or the Cecil Hotel in California. You walk in and it's just this beautiful facility and then you get into the rooms and it's like yeah. falling apart, cockroach-infested mm. rat holes. Well, the thing is, when the hospital was created, it was actually a really nice hospital because the director, he believed in, like, where it was put is on this big hill with a nice, open, beautiful view. All the rooms had windows, unlike most mental hospitals. He actually believed that a nice scenery, a calming area would help patients. They, they did a lot of good there. Well, and um, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you keep yeah. the patients calm, it's easier to treat them. In the early days, it's said, who knows if this is actually true, because, <laughs> you know, this is the hospital writing this, but hydrotherapy was actually their main cause, main system to go to, and it, what it was is actually, it's like you put them in a hot, hot, like a little hot tub, personal hot tub, and let the warm, cooling, warm water hit them, and just, they'd be quiet and let them relax, and it helped a lot of the patients that were there. I want to check in. <laughs> now, and I want to say early 1900s, there was a, a woman who was taking a bath and mysteriously died while taking a bath. And she was the reason she was in there was for ep, for epilepsy. And I don't think it's much of a mystery anymore. Nope. She, no, it was not. Uh, her death was not caused by any uh, fits of epilepsy. You don't think she had a seizure and drowned? Not according to the coroner. The the they never, at least from what I could read, they never actually came out with what really happened. But it seems like it was foul play involved, and they believe it was by a staff member. Um, 
Let's see. <clears throat> now, with this being a uh, mental health hospital, it's still being used, um, like a lot of mental health hospitals. Staff and previous staff are not supposed to talk about what happens, like haunting-wise or really anything that happens inside facility. Yeah, because you got HIPAA laws and all So that there's stuff. a lot of, in, there's not a whole lot of haunting information. Um, there have been a few groups and stuff that get to go to like the abandoned parts of it and stuff. Um, but there's not a whole lot of information online. So what I've got was from interviews I saw and was able to read and stuff like that. And there's a video on YouTube. It's just a, some YouTube guy who takes his friends out there to ghost hunt and they just go through the museum. I don't know how that's a ghost hunt, <laughs> but, um, Ghost hangs out in the museum. One of the staff members <laughs> starts talking about some of the things that happened to him, and he makes sure they have him turn off the camera and everything because he says he's not supposed to talk about it and stuff like that. Um, so it's very hard to find some of the stuff that happens. But um, the front half of the building looks really nice, and you get to the back side of the building, and it looks really run down. L- looks like an internment camp almost. Um, but there's uh, noise, there's screaming and moans heard throughout the building. Um, apparition scene at windows, walking hallways. Um, I know one of the apparitions that's supposedly seen is of a staff. It looks like a staff member walking down the hallway in a lab coat. And then he stops in front of a door and then just disappears. There's objects that are being mo- like seen moving or, you know, someone would set their clipboard down somewhere and then it would be in a different room when they came back, stuff like that. Um, now, since this is still a used hospital, it could just be that the noises are echoes throughout the hospital of a patient screaming or banging his he- hands or head against something, and it just echoing through the building. Um, I know here in Oklahoma, with a bunch of these abandoned buildings, you have if you someone does something in one part of the building, you can hear it in the other one. Yeah. Just long echoes and stuff in these long hallways. Um, so could be ghost could be the you know 5000 souls that were left in a basement and forgotten about for hundreds of years probably um they have now since in 2005 i believe a uh, photographer went into the hospital to do interviews and take pictures and stuff and he went to the basement and that's where the there's a famous photo of the hospital and what it is, it's a picture of the urns, just on shelves, back to back, stacked on top of each other, um, on this old like metal shelf. Um, and there was a documentary made about it. Um, I can't remember what it's called actually, but uh. well, anytime you have a mental hospital, there always seems to be hauntings associated with them, and it could be just the residual energy of those people. Well, you gotta think um, for some of these people. I mean with a lot of mental health issues, a lot of them don't need the, work, the stuff they get. I mean, you had lobotomies, you yeah. had electroshock therapy, you had these pretty much tortures done to these people. The, the early stages of the the psychology field were pretty gruesome. And it was because it was really... I mean, it's hard to study the brain because you can't live without one. So, you know, you have a dead brain, you can study it, but you don't know what things... What's actually what, going what on. does yeah. what. So, I mean... It started out pretty gruesome because they were studying, trying to figure out what what was causing what to happen. So yeah, they do lobotomies and they'd remove the, the section f- of the brain, the frontal lobe of the brain. <clears throat> in it doesn't leave you in a vegetative stand, uh, 
vegetative state, but you have no emotion anymore. Yeah, it pretty much removes everything that's human about you. Yeah. You can't do anything yourself really anymore. You can move, but I mean, you can't go to the bathroom by yourself. You can't eat by yourself. And that part just blows me away. It's like, oh, this person's suffering from seizures or, you know, has Tourette's. And they're just, the doctors are like, oh, I just can't, can't figure out. You know what? I'm tired of him acting up. I'm just going to cut out his brain. Well, one of the things they used to do for epileptic seizures is they would go in and they would separate the left and right hemispheres. And they'd cut the cerebral cortex that connected it. And yes, it would hel- it helps with seizures. People would quit having the seizures. But then they wouldn't be able to, like, <clears throat> you cover your left eye, you couldn't write with your right hand what you were seeing. Because the two sides of the brain were no longer communicating think, with each yeah. other. And so you couldn't... So it was. it's really hard for people to concentrate and to do things anymore at that point. Because their brain is not communicating with each other. So walking is difficult. Anything that requires moving both sides of your body at one time, cognitive thought, things like that, memory processing, it affects because yeah. your your hemispheres aren't communicating anymore. And these are all things that it took these... Exp- unfortunately, it took these experiments and it took these people's lives yeah. to discover this. So these people, in my mind, are heroes for us today. Because we don't go in to a hospital and they remove part of our brain when we're... Because we have sneezing Because fits. we're sneezing, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. you know? And so for the people to just be treated by throwing them in coffee cans in a yeah. basement... And pretty much what it was... These is, people are, I mean, they supposedly are were the unclaimed, the unclaimed people who, I mean, and a lot of these, who knows if people, like the hospital even tried to con- con- uh, contact... Um, relatives relatives or anything like well, that. Well, most of the time those I people mean, were forgotten over, even in the families. Yeah, in an overcrowded situation. I mean, they used to bury the bodies and they ran out of room. So then they started cre- cremating them and then threw them in a dry pond and then covered it with dirt. Well, and at least it got wasn't like ours where they lost them. Yeah. And then <laughs> they got in trouble for just burying the urns in unmarked graves. So then they were had they had to dig up and exhume the canisters bring the canisters inside and store them until they could figure out what to do with them. So they just sat in a basement for who knows how long. Yeah. Um, I did find one thing interesting. Um, the director of the museum at one point in an interview, she said each can started deteriorating because it's just copper after being underground or in a moist basement and everything that they all started deteriorating in unique ways. And she, she just had a cool saying. Is like, it shows you that e- every person is unique, and even in death, their uniqueness shows. Because not one coffee can deteriorated the same as another one. Had different colors, patterns, all that stuff on the can, which I thought was really kind of cool. I just in picture a, these ghosts sitting in a basement painting their coffee cans. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I believe there are some areas of the hospital that they do ghost hunts and stuff like that. Um, I couldn't find anything on that, but I did read a couple things where people would go do ghost hunts per- on themselves. It's probably kind of like our connection that we have. Yeah. That we're not supposed to go do it. But we're going But because to. our connection is the security, <laughs> 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 we might be able to do it. So be looking for that in an upcoming episode, too. But um, they have now, like I said, they put a lot of the urns kind of behind glass and everything. Um, and outside they have a little courtyard area 
And they have this, I'd say, three feet tall concrete wall um, that's a C shape. And then they have the canisters stored in there and everything. And then they have it. If, if someone is to claim, they can open up where the canister is, pull the canister out, give it to the family and stuff. So there's a few holes that are empty that they've drilled all the way through so you can see both sides on it. Um, there was one story, I don't know if it's true or not, but supposedly there's an apparition that in the museum that will stand in front of the urns and just that stands there and stares at the urns. It's believed to be a patient who died and he's staring at his remains, hmm. which is I've never heard of before, but kind of creepy. What, what's crazy is I'm not sure. I'm not like surprised. I'm surprised there's not more of those. Because I feel like once, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, because even in certain situations where, like, people die in houses, their energy stays in the house, even though their corpse has been moved. But if you're there for long enough, and your only, like, physical thought of, or the only thing that you currently own is your own body, that I just, I'm surprised that there's not more of those situations. I feel like that'd be really infuriating to be spirit, like, say, you're in from the hosp- this hospital and you know you're walking through your daily ghost routine and then you see an urn with your name on it in the day you died yeah especially and if you're the kind of ghost that doesn't know you're dead yeah well it's like how infuriating the beauty like really i no one wanted me yeah like i died and no one cared i'm in this coffee cup or coffee can and no one cared enough to have a funeral for me, bury me correctly. Even worse, though, what if the whole, uh, what what if the whole start of his actual uh, going on to the next realm or going on to the next plane is someone coming to actually claim him, send him, send him away? Yeah, correctly, mm-hmm. yeah. like that. That's probably burial. probably one of the most fucked up. Say ideas his last there. rites. And yeah, because yeah, I mean, I. I I feel like in order for a person to pass on, you have to go through your your last rites, however you feel that is, whether you're a, you know, a Catholic and you needed to have a priest play, pray with you or and read your last rites or if you know however however you believe it's supposed to happen, yeah. I can see the soul waiting around for that to happen because they don't believe in anything else. This is what they believe and they feel trapped. Yeah. Because that hasn't happened for them yet. Yeah. I could, and this is Oregon State Hospital is in the top five of haunted places in Oregon. Yeah, it's on every Which I list. find really hard since I couldn't find much information on it being haunted. Um, it's probably more of a local thing. Like everybody in town, kind of like, like us with Griffin. Like everybody no, here no one knows, knows it's Griffin's haunted. probably haunted besides people who live here yeah. and people who know me. And I pointed out every time I drive past it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Eli. <laughs> it's okay. When he moved here, hey, you know this place is haunted. Hey, you know this place is haunted. Hey, you know this place is haunted. Yeah. Every time I went to Taco Bell, yep. yeah. Leyline Taco Bells. Hey, you know this place is haunted. Yeah, man. There's a light over there. No, there's not. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Oregon State Hospital, one of the most haunted places in Oregon. Yeah. It's always number one or number two on the list that I yeah, looked at. Yeah, every list I looked at was one or two. Yeah. So we're gonna go down the road. Are you done? Yep. Yeah. Now we get to get on the highway and we're just gonna go down the road a little on bit. The highway, happen on the highway in a Fairview, and we're gonna go down to that other hospital that you said that they created. Yep. That it was overcrowded. 
Dave? After the, you know, deal with overcrowding other than sodium fluoride in the eggs. <laughs> well, why don't you go ahead and uh, take us through this, this new hospital? The Fairview Training Center was a state facility for housing, caring for, and educating people with developmental disabilities, as well as epilepsy. It was established in 1907. It opened on December 1st, 1908, with 39 patients from the nearby Oregon State Insane Asylum. The facility remained in operation up until the year 2000, adding several cottages over the years. This 100-plus-year-old closed-down mental facility is being revitalized into a housing community and a park. Sam Hall of Sustainable Fairview Associates said that all of the quote-unquote haunted buildings have been demolished. All the visible reminders of Fairview have disappeared, but its history should not be forgotten because it has a very, very dark history. I have photos taken by Daniel Denham Skinner, the PDX photographer. Well, we will put them on Facebook and Instagram. She's an amazing photographer, and she was able to get there in uh, 2015 and take several photos before. They are some amazing photos. You did a great job. I love the lighting. Uh, yes, yes. I'm like, oh, I want her to take Halloween pictures of us, because they've all got this like eerie lighting to them. Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> The treatment patients received here was more horrific than in any other asylum I have investigated so far. The past four decades have brought many changes in state policy for Oregonians with developmental disabilities. These changes were brought on by an investigation in the late 1980s, resulting in the certification and federal funding being pulled from the facility. The first step in a long road that led to its closure decades later. Many artifacts and records from Fairview have been lost or destroyed. Pierce Cottage itself was destroyed by arson in 2010. Two people were arrested in connection with the arson shortly thereafter. As of late 2019, all the buildings have been demolished. This is going to get dark. In 1981, more than 1,300 Oregonians with developmental disabilities lived at the Fairview Training Center in Salem, where for decades they were referred to as inmates. A study published in the American Journal of Forensic Medicine and Pathology found that between 1963 and 1987, twice as many Fairview residents died from unnatural causes than non-institutionalized people in Marion County. Oregon maintained a board of social control, that oversaw more than 2,600 forced sterilizations carried out as late as 1983, including forced hysterectomies, tubal ligations, vasectomies, and even castrations. What year? 1983. 83. What's a black? That's far past when, uh, uh, what's his face? Kennedy passed the law to quit that. Yes. So they were breaking federal laws doing that? The way they got around it was it was part of a volunteer system to have it done, but these sterilizations were part of a requirement for discharge from Fairview up until the late 1970s. All right, it's about to get even darker. 
One if grunt. There's a dog, dead dog in this, Dave. And you have it warned us about a dead dog. No. <laughs> I don't think. So. Hold on. <laughs> no. One graduate student assigned to work at Fairview in 1980 described residents being handcuffed to 60-pound blocks and forced to push them up and down the hallway. Former residents tell stories of discipline administered by staff with isolation cages, leather cuffs, cow whips, and razor straps. An oral history project has worked to capture the stories of those who lived and worked at Fairview. These are their words. I was handicapped, but it made me sicker to be there. It was like a prison, handcuffed, shut door. I didn't like it. I didn't like it there. People mean. One resident described being disciplined with razor straps. It's things really bad. Others recalled. They were strict at Fairview. You got beat up, yelled at. They put us in closets. They used their shoes to spank us also. If you didn't behave yourself, they'd get you with one of them scolding hot waters. Horrifying treatment. Okay. There is a movie that I've seen where the doctors mistreat the patients like this. And then when the doctors die, the souls of the patients kidnap them and start torturing them. I hope to hell that's what happened here. Agreed. (laughs) So, one resident described Fairview as the gateway to hell. Former Governor Kitz Haber issued a formal apology for the human rights violation in 2002. He acknowledged other abuses at the time. Quote, Until the mid-1980s, if you could believe that, the staff of the institutions commonly used inhumane devices to restrain or control patients including leather cuffs and helmets and straitjackets and inappropriately high dosages of sedatives and psychotropic medications, unquote. So it sounds a lot like what happened at Oregon State Hospital as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The difference here, though, the minimum age for institution was five years old. Oh, wow. When the U.S. Department of Justice and the Healthcare Financing Administration came to investigate allegations of abuse in the late 1980s, they were shocked. <laughs> the agency immediately decertified the facility and temporary withdrew federal funding. During the next decade, Fairview was administered by the Oregon Department of Human Services. Under pressure from advocates and the federal government, the state developed a long-term plan for Fairbill's closure. More than a decade later, at 1.15 p.m. on February 24, 2000, the last resident left Fairview to begin his life in the community. DHS continued to operate the Eastern Oregon Training Center in Pendleton until October 2009. The 2007 documentary, Where's Molly?, is about Molly Daly, who was institutionalized at the Fairview Hospital and Training Center in the 1950s, when she was five. Doctors and physicians advised she would receive better care in the state institution than at home. Molly's older brother Jeff says that while Molly had some minor disabilities, he believed that when she went into the institution, she became, quote, institutionally retarded. 
unquote. He believes, quote, the environment created her, forced her into being what everybody else in an institution was, which were people surviving, unquote. Molly's father visited often the first few months, until Fairview's staff forced him to stop because Molly would become inconsolable after he left. Molly and Jeff's father then founded a troupe called the Astoria Clowns in 1957, the same year Molly was institutionalized. The troupe traveled around Oregon, marching in parades and entertaining children wherever they went. The troupe also visited Fairview often. Jeff said, quote, He was able to have this relationship with Molly in disguise, painted face and orange wig, wearing the clown outfit. But he was able to still get back there and see his daughter. Unquote. Jeff found Molly again after their parents passed away. Not only have they been reunited, but now they are a big part of each other's lives. Jeff said, quote, I've lost some family, but I've got family. And I think that the family that I have now needs me, and I'm glad to be there for her. That's the beauty of it. It's a lovely reward to be able to give back and take care of your little sister. That story broke my heart. Right? Oh, my God. Oh, d- watch the documentary. I don't think I can. <laughs> it is. It's quite a tale. Because, I mean, it was kind of one of those things. It was, they wouldn't release her without sterilizing her. So once she was in there, they were kind of at a loss. Mm-hmm. Because that was only one of the stipulations. The other was like a fee. And then like you had to have lived in the state for so long. And there had to be home inspections done. And they had to check off on the the home inspection. I can see how people would volunteer to be sterilized. Yeah, Just get me the hell out of here. Do whatever you got to do. I want to get out. I would volunteer for it. So the proceeds from the property sale were put into the Fairview Housing Trust. Since 2003... The trust has awarded grants to more than a thousand people with disabilities for crucial home modifications that make community living possible. Preservation of this fund is a living memorial to the thousands of Oregonians with disabilities who suffered at Fairview. The trust is also a commitment to future generations that their future lies in the community. Oregon is now the only state that serves 100% of its individuals with developmental disabilities in non-institutional settings. Yay, Oregon. Yeah, something other states should look into for the care, education, and treatment for people with developmental disabilities. Oregon is the first state in the United States to have fully transformed its developmentally disabled system into one that affirms equality and human dignity. Oregonians with developmental disabilities are no longer deemed inmates of any institution. Instead, they are neighbors and friends. But all that energy, and especially that dark energy, has to go somewhere. Various reports of paranormal activity have been made. Witnesses have reported objects moving by themselves, the sounds of chains dragging and uh, scratching on the windows, A female apparition has been seen wandering the grounds at night, usually appearing near one of the cottages on the grounds of the school, as well as a male figure passing through one of the old cottages. 
Many different figures roaming the lawns, which just suddenly disappear. There have also been reports of a male figure passing through the kitchen of Holderness Cottage. This was the part of Fairview that was used to house the most disturbed and aggressive male residents, as well as residents with profound to severe mental dysfunction. Rumor has it many residents were brutally murdered here by one another over the years. I say rumor because I couldn't find any hard evidence of it. But like I said earlier, most of the documentation was lost or destroyed. But those who have seen the apparition of the male figure say he's not threatening, and he doesn't interact with the living. Former employees have said that they had witnessed blood oozing from the walls. Random lights have been seen on inside of buildings that have had no power for decades. The apparition of a woman wearing a white hospital gown was seen jumping off the top of one building and disappearing as she hit the ground below. In late November, back in 1923, a student named Holly Pollock went missing, and it was assumed he had run away. About three weeks later, pieces of hair and pieces of skin started to come out of the water pipes. His body was discovered in the water tank at Withycombe Cottage. Holly's spirit is said to still linger on the grounds. <laughs> How the fuck did he get in there? <laughs> like, no, like... Amazing photographer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I also had all these photos when I was looking at mine. And I got a lot of those stories from just reaching out to different paranormal groups. Because, uh, yeah, it's hard, hard to actually find stuff on this. Oh, my goodness. Go back to the water tower. If that's the water tower he was found in... Now, I don't know if it was okay. the same one or... It's like, if, that one's like, what... 30 feet in the air. It's like the water tower on that 70s show. Yeah. Because you also got to remember that old buildings like this also had cisterns, which were water tanks pretty much outside of them. I mean, it'd still be peculiar to be found in one. Well, it's kind of like Elise Lamb. Yeah. Yeah. How the fuck did she get in that one? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So. We've been on this tour and we're all balled our eyes out now with all the gruesome... Horrific stories. I said there wasn't even jokes we could put into no. Dave's. Dave's was just dark. <laughs> well, now on our little road trip here, the kids are crying. They're bored. We all need a little bit of pick-me-up. So we're going to head down down south on I-5 to this enchanted place called the Enchanted Forest. Roger Toff and his family went on a road trip in the early 60s. This road trip would lead to a lifelong passion and family adventure that would change their lives. While on this trip, Toff decided that there weren't enough things for children to do around the Salem, Oregon area. So upon returning home from the trip, Toff bought 20 acres on a hillside for $4,000 and started to work on his vision. In 1964, the work began. Board by board and a bag of concrete at a time, Roger and his family worked for seven years to make his dream a reality. On August 8, 1971, what had once been a wooded hillside off Interstate 5 was transformed into a whimsical adventure for children and families for many years to come, known as the Enchanted Forest. When you enter this magical place, you're given the option to start your journey on, storybook, on Storybook Lane, where you are transported into a book of fairy tales and nursery rhymes. Or you can go to the right and journey into an old European village where you can enjoy some Irish music and dancing, 
or watch Geppetto as he waits for his little wooden puppet to become a real boy. I'm a real boy. <laughs> Whichever way you decide to go, you won't be disappointed by the artwork and craftsmanship along the way. There are many attractions and rides to keep you entertained. From bumper cars to roller coasters, you can find something for everyone. Although the Enchanted Forest was designed for children, as you walk around, you start to notice something. Everything's just a little on the creepy side. Not something that I think was intended by Roger Toft in the original creation of the park, but something that's just seemed to take on, taken on a life of its own as the park visitors continue to visit and leave a little bit of their energy behind. The park is full of hand-painted artwork by Toft himself, as well as many animatronic people and animals. Most of the buildings, as whimsical as they look from the outside, the ones that you can enter give you a bit of a funhouse feel. Take, for example, the saloon in the Toftville Western Town that gives you almost the feeling of being drunk as you walk through the tunnel to the other side. Some of the artwork even begins to take on a life of its own as you see odd characters hanging from the trees, almost as though they're watching you. Then you come upon a spooky old house where you hear eerie music and screams emanating from within the walls. That's right, you found the haunted house attraction. Again, you have animatronics and devil imagery as soon as you enter the spectacular part of the journey. As your journey through the haunted house, it's not much different than any other haunted house you may encounter at an amusement park, or is it? According to Ashley Toft, Roger's granddaughter, the haunted house has always made her feel uneasy. It has something ominous about it. Could there be real spirits hanging out in the haunted house of the Enchanted Forest? Well, Zach from Ghost Adventures seemed to think it's possible. During an episode of the Ghost Adventures, he and his team capture some interesting evidence, including an odd or abnormality on their SLRS camera. And this is the camera that shows um, like a stick figure when it picks up weird energy spikes. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, the image seemed to respond to their question by moving a leg when they asked it to do so to prove that it was real. They even had a conversation with what seemed to be a young girl and a woman using that amplifier method that we talked about in the... Um, so, so, wait, so wait a minute now. You said this was ghost adventures? Mm-hmm. So they were like, do the stanky leg, bro. Pretty and much. then it was like, ur, ur, ur. they're like, oh. Can I mean, you do the Dougie? <laughs> <laughs> can, you teach me, can, can you teach me how to Dougie? Can now, you teach me how to Dougie? Now wop, wop, wop. <laughs> What? No, don't eat Whoppers. Whop. <laughs> a soldier boy, the hoe. Oh. <laughs> that would be hilarious if they started doing all that shit. But you'd have to say soldier boy that prostitute because hoes not in their fucking <laughs> So, you know, the method we talked about on our um, spirit communications where they put, put the sound through the amplifier that you were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Through yeah. the noise reducer and then through the amplifier. Basically, they had that. And so you heard these voices clear as day, and it was like a child and a woman. Um, but it's not just the haunted house that seems to have attracted some unconventional visitors to the park. In the old European village, there's a ride called the Challenge of Mondor. This is a roller coaster meets laser tag kind of a ride in which the riders help Mondor defeat the enemy by shooting targets and getting points along the way. Um, the ride operator, Chris Dunn, has made the claim that he's captured an orb shifting and changing shape and has a series of three photographs that he took from an infrared camera while performing pre-operation checks. Also, he claims to have heard footsteps behind him after a ride check. 
and about five seconds later felt a blast of energy from behind him that made him feel dizzy and gave him chills. This happened again later on that same day. Sounds like Chris Dunn might be sensitive to some of this stuff. Might be. That ride sounds yeah super fun. It looks pretty go? cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Even park visitors have claimed that they have felt spooked as they've journeyed through the park. Now, either this is due to the actual an actual spirit presence, or the overactive imagination running wild in a world full of whimsical enchantment. We may never know. Now. I've looked through pictures of the park, and I went on, like, on YouTube, you can find people who took cameras through and, like, show you the park, and you can see all the different stuff. And it's creepy in the sense that it's, like, 1970s animatronics. So everything's kind of got jerky motions to it and just look a little bit creepy. Good afternoon. Yeah. So I can totally see how that could scare some younger children. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And one of the rides or attractions is it's called the Witch's Castle. And basically, it's this giant witch head that you go into the, the castle through her mouth. And then you kind of walk around. There's animatronics inside. Um, you like a witch brewing potion or something is what it looked like. But then you go up this stair and then you take a slide down her hair on the backside. Do you dare go up that the creepy stair? <laughs> that is super. Not clean. Do you dare slide down the witch's hair? <laughs> yes, we dare. But then, like, there's Alice in the rabbit hole, and there's actually a rabbit hole that kids can climb into. And as you're going through it, it gets really dark. But then there's, like, this little porthole type thing that you look through, and you see a pic- an image of Alice falling down the hole. And then you come out through a keyhole on That's the other really side. Cool. That's really it's cool. really amazing. This guy had a great imagination. He did. Like this... Think of this stuff and then bring it to life. Oh my, yeah, the, yeah. Everything is just so amazing that he created it. This is like if, but like you just imagine if he had like the, uh, the account of like Walt Disney, what he could do. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously it's definitely the... like the Oregon version of Disneyland. Yeah. I'm just thinking like the cool thing about this, that it saved himself is, Instead of being like an amusement park where it's all just concrete and buildings, this is in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you walk through, and they've, like, there's path, paths that you walk down. And the guy said that you've got to be in pretty good shape to walk through the park because it's all on a hill. There's no flat area. So it's all up and downhill walking. But there are parts of the path where they've actually trained the trees to grow over the path to make like a tree canopy over the path. Uh, those are really cool looking. You've got Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, where you look in the window and you see Snow White cleaning. And then upstairs, you've got all so this. You, you mean you look in and you see a gangbang? Well, no. <laughs> yeah, you know. And <laughs> you know what happened. I mean, you that's go and you a, look. A house with one woman and seven men. <laughs> you look upstairs and you see all the dwarfs' beds. You've got, like I said, Alice in Wonderland. Um, when you. They're like historic part of it which is the storybook land that's that was what was built first but there's a humpty dumpty that sits on a wall well in 2004 he fell he off. fell off the wall and broke <gasps> and they rebuilt and like him king's men could have put him back together again they just built a new one. Oh. also the oh. reason why grumpy was so mad is because he was a platoon okay guys oh he couldn't get it up <laughs> he couldn't get it up Sad story. Or he was the only gay one in the bunch and <laughs> nobody else was down for yeah. that. Sneezy, Dopey Sneezy was allergic to lube. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm and reminded, latex. 
of Ricky Gervais is when he goes through the nursery rhymes. Yeah. And his comedy act. You should check that out. <laughs> it's really funny stuff. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, beautiful setting. And it reminded me kind of um like maybe Knott's Berry Farm or even like Silver Dollar City in the sense that it's a smaller amusement park. I mean, it's it's not small by any means. It's 20 acres. I mean, it's still a pretty big amusement park. But it's just got more of that small, family-oriented amusement park. And the Toffs still own it. He's still there. He's still alive. Um, yeah, I would love to meet him. Three generations yeah. of his family are working there. Like I said, his granddaughter, you know, was talking about how spooky the haunted house was. Man, I'm just thinking what the place is going to look like if it gets run down. Oh, it would be really creepy. creepy. that place would be. It'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, Have you ever seen pictures of the Wizard of Oz amusement park yeah. that's abandoned? Oh, it looks more <laughs> like Return to Oz. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, there's Geppetto's workshop. You've got a Blackboard Pie performance that gets put on every year. Every time you think, you bring up Geppetto and Pinocchio, <laughs> I'm just thinking, I can't remember what cartoon it was, and it's like, uh, Pinocchio, that's not what's supposed to be growing. <laughs> Pinocchio, <laughs> I'm a real boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a real man. But yeah, I if this place is truly haunted, there's not enough information out there other than the Ghost Adventurers episode to give me a definite on whether it's haunted. I think what we have here is we have a very creative, magical place where children are out a lot, and some of it's kind of creepy. So the imagination so takes the over. The imagination takes over, and if there is something there, I think we're looking at more of an egregore type situation where it's just kind of manifested from the energy that children have put into it, <laughs> and the adults. I mean, yeah. even Aaron from Ghost Adventures on that episode, he said that he was always creeped out as a child. Because like, there are tunnels and... It's like a mine that you go through. Uh, there's a bobsled roller coaster that's like on Ice Mountain. And Now, I'm very pantheistic in my beliefs. And I, th- I guess what I'm kind of believing with this is the amount of energy that Toph put into this. Yeah, he I put a, a lot He of that put a, a certain amount of his own spiritual essence into it. And Definitely. that has manifested itself. Especially if this, the haunted house is where you get most of the creeps from. Because the imagination that was creating that was in a dark spot. Yeah, yeah. And so the energy that was put into it is a little darker than everywhere else. Like I said, you walk in the door and immediately there's like an image of the devil. So that immediately puts the guests on a heightened sense. Yeah. And then like every haunted house, things jump out and scare you. And there's like animatronics that move around and talk to you, and like it's you know dark and kind of eerie, which most haunted houses that you go to in an amusement park are like that. So I think that's more. I don't think it's haunted so much as it's just that energy is there. And yeah, I think he put he put so much of himself into it that. I think that the place will be there. haunted when he finally goes. Yeah, I think he'd stick around. I think he'd be sticking around there. Uh, but there's no death associated with this place whatsoever. It's just God, a I fun, go. creepy place. And yeah, I was like, okay, we're going to Oregon. Like, this is amazing. I want to I want to just go see this yeah. and let my kids experience something like this. Because 
the amusement parks that we have around here, we have Frontier City, nee. which back when we were kids was a lot different than it is now because now it's owned by Six Flags. Yeah. So it's got the Six Flags vibe to it. And every place we've been to, I've been to, has been owned by a big corporation yeah, like Six too. Flags or Disney, things like that. And there's something special about places like this and Knott's Berry Farm and Silver Dollar City and the Orr family farm that we have here, where yeah. it's more of a personal adventure for somebody. You feel that's more like a into, guest instead yeah. of a, a customer. Customer, yeah. 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 And one of the videos that I watched, the guy was even going into the gift shops and showing stuff. There's all kinds of stuff in the gift shops, but it's not out nor outrageously priced gift shop items. Like, you know, you go to Frontier City or Six Flags or Disney, you're paying a minimum of $25 or more for a t-shirt. Yeah. These shirts were like under 20 bucks. Oh, wow. To get in, it's it's about like going to Frontier City for the admission. It's like, well, it's less than that because it's like 12 bucks for adults and like... That's really good. Yeah. Hell, you can barely yeah. go to a now, movie for that nowadays. Now you buy tickets. Like, they, all the rides still operate off of paper tickets. Or you can buy a wristband. So th- in that sense, it's kind of like our zoo where you go, you pay your admission, and then you just buy the wristband so you don't have to buy tickets at every little event. Now, but, what we want to know, though, is how much are the drinks, okay? That I don't know. He did not. Damn. But there are restaurant, like food places. Like there's a water light show that they serve food and stuff at so you can sit and watch the water lights and all God, that stuff I really dance. want to go. <laughs> and... I mean, I was just I was just amazed at everything that was here, and so it bef- was before this episode. I've always wanted to go to Oregon just because I've heard it's beautiful and everything. Now I want to go because now I have five or four spots I want to go to. Yeah, the trees, man, the trees. <laughs> <laughs> so, for our Oregon listeners, thank you so much. I hope we did these places just these places. That's right. Mm-hmm. I hope we did these places justice, and. If you've been to this amusement park and it's as awesome as it feels like from just watching videos and seeing pictures, um, I hope we made it feel like we've actually been there because I tried really hard to to learn as much about the area as I could because I want to get in the mindset of our listeners. Um, I had a, I, I wouldn't say I had a um, a blast researching my topic, but I will say that. I had a large amount of intrigue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, researching the topic because uh, knowledge is power, and uh, knowing where you came from is is half the battle. Yeet. <laughs> He's been smoking some of those trees, huh? <laughs> Anybody else have anything that they want to add about Oregon and our Oregon listeners? Hope to see you soon. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, thanks for all your support and your listening. Yeah. yeah we really appreciate it. Thank you to year. the uh, paranormal research groups that they reached out to and got some information from. Yes. Thank you all uh, very and much. And to that photographer. Yes, Daniel. Sorry. Daniel Benham Skinner. Yeah. And I will be putting those on the... Facebook and the Instagrams. If you want us to visit your state next, get them listens up. Uh, mm-hmm. We have 48 or 49 more. 
We'll do 48 more states. We've, we do Oklahoma quite a bit in our stuff. Well, so. but we got we got D.C. in there, too. So yeah. well, it brings it back yeah. up. And, now, and as always, we always take listener requests, yes. too. We just yeah. went all through our listener requests. So. And we'll do these probably every couple of months, every month, every couple of months, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's been really fun. I, I kind of like digging into, well, one, I just love history, and I love spooky oh. places. So being able to combine the two and looking at different states that I've never been to has been really interesting. Something that I was going to talk about and completely forgot about. Why is Salem, Oregon so haunted? There was a battle known as the Battle Creek Battle between Oregon settlers and Native Americans that took place on land that is modern-day Salem. Oh, really? So energy I'm going to bet released. we've got a lot of energy from Native American spirits and from the settlers. And that could be why that, that land is a little bit more yeah, primed I, for... I kind of wonder what the... Um, geology of that area is like yeah. if it's got well, and if it's mountains it's gonna have a lot of limestone so yeah <laughs> another thing that i think that could be going on at the um enchanted forest i think we could be having some fairy energy intertwining because yep. you're in in the woods on a mountainside or well, even just elementals yeah yeah well, i mean which is i guess technically a fairy yeah. folk but you could definitely see that playing a thing in there. Because a lot of what people see are orbs and things like that that fly around. Yeah. And so air elementals. Little air elementals up there in the mountains. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I can't wait to visit. And Start saving now. Yeah. And Kids should be old enough by the time we have the money to go. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, get your friends listening. Get your co-workers listening. Your family. Um, Check we, us out on We Facebook. are... Uh, explicit, so your family needs to be 18 or older. Sorry. Uh, or really mature 16, 17 year old, whatever. We, we cuss too much. We do or, cuss. Or I cuss too much. We cuss. And a lot of our topics are just way too dark. Yeah. yeah. But we love you guys. Thank you, Oregon. If you want us to cover your state, get, us, get people listening, check out our Facebook, our Instagram, and our Twitter at UMP Normalcy. And join our Facebook group, um, which is separate from our Facebook page. Our Facebook group is starting to get a little bit more active. It's kind of fun to share stuff with everybody, talk directly to listeners. It's pretty awesome. And we've got our Patreon page at patreon.com slash umpnormalcy. And then we've always got our website at umpnormalcy.com. And you can contact us on any of those places. And until next time. Keep digging.